And as I said in my response, I'm truly, profoundly, and honestly sorry. And also, go f*** yourself and the bow-legged horse you and your bow-legged family rode in on. <laughs> I expect that he'll, he might be writing to us again. Oh, Mr. Hammersmith, good to hear from you. Keep listening. Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by my friend Dan Calzretta. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana. I am really looking forward to this episode. The Corbo might maneuver, which is not some move that Kirk puts on a woman. No. <laughs> first, before we dive into episode 10 of the first season, let's recap last week's comments from Dagger the Mind. Yeah, let's do it. I uh, got some notes. People thought uh, Morgan Woodward was just great as Van Gelder. He was great. I totally yeah. agree. And there was also comments about the neuro neutralizer. But it's called social media, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I said. <laughs> and then I think the most comments that we had were about how beautiful Mariana Hill was. And finally, uh, we had a couple of comments. What do we have against Nebraska? And the answer <laughs> is nothing. It was just a mindless rant, right? Yeah, that's what it was. Sorry, Nebraska. Didn't we get another comment? Oh, we did. Yeah, I'm sorry. We did make somebody else mad than other than the Nebraska people. A person who thought we were slandering housekeeping technicians when I made a reference to one of the crewmen looking like a janitor. We did write him and let him know that we didn't mean anything and we have the highest regard for uh, HKTs, also known as housekeeping technicians. Especially bow-legged ones. We salute you for uh, writing to us and voicing your opinion. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks again for emailing us. <laughs> The Corbomite Maneuver. So we start off the show, Kirk is not on the bridge. Spock is in the command chair and they're mapping out new sections of the galaxy. The crew sees that there's a object, looks like a little dot off in the distance and it keeps getting closer and closer. They try to maneuver away from it, but it keeps moving with them, staying always in front of them. We finally see that it's like a 3D box that's turning around in space before them. It's uh, multicolored, giving off kind of a glow. Looked a little bit like something you'd find in your Lucky Charms. Yeah, I, I thought it looked like a cube of moldy cheese. Part of it was <laughs> yellow, part of it was green, part of it was blue. But yeah, you're right. It was this cube that was just rotating in front of them. Yeah, no matter what they do, they can't get away from it. So they go to red alert. In sickbay, Kirk is working out for Dr. McCoy for his quarterly physical. I need to point out, he doesn't have a shirt on. And he's doing this exercise where he's pumping his legs against something on the wall. Same uh, thing that Charlie X was doing when he came onto the ship in the first episode. That's right. I forgot about that. McCoy keeps an eye on him and McCoy turns and sees the red alert sign flashing over the door. But he doesn't say anything to Kirk. And then he says, you're done. And Kirk finishes, gets off the table, and he sees the red alert and he calls the bridge. Spock informs him of the thing that's blocking their path. It does not appear to be a ship, Spock says. As Kirk leaves, he says, you know, why didn't you tell me about this? And he just takes off. McCoy says, what am I, a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor? And McCoy continues. I jumped every time a light came on around here. I'd end up talking to myself. Which is odd because uh, Kirk has already left the room. And so McCoy is talking to himself. Great. Great writing yeah. in that scene. So the hallways are pretty busy, but I noticed, I don't know if you noticed this, there's some people doing some strange things in the hallway. One guy has like, not a 
trowel, but like the handle of a trowel. And he's going along a seam in a wall. I don't know what he's doing there. I think he's putting up new drywall. But he doesn't have the trowel. Well, well because <laughs> it's probably handle. like some kind of phaser trowel or something. Oh, yeah. Phaser trowels. Yeah. I think they'll come <laughs> out with those next year. And then there's another guy who looks like he's got like a voltage meter in his hand. And there's a little red pipe sticking out of the wall. And he's like touching it with the connectors on that. Again, there's a red alert going on. Other people are moving around pretty fast. And there's these two guys doing their little side projects. And there was another guy in what looked like a life preserver. I don't know if you saw that guy. Yeah. Yep, I did. I tried Um, to see what the writing on it said. I I stopped the DVD. Maybe it said something like seat cushion doubles as a life preserver. Maybe that's uh, part of his job was as a seat cushion. So before this turns into our longest episode, (laughs) Kirk checks in again with Spock and he says he'll change first. One of the helmsmen is Mr. Bailey, and he's been having a little bit of an issue ever since this thing appeared. He's getting a little bit angry at Spock because Spock is shouting orders at him and kind of putting him in his place. And he had raised his voice before. When you say he, you mean Bailey did. Bailey, yes. He turns to Spock and says it wasn't fear. It's because I'm human and I have an adrenaline gland. And Spock replies, sounds inconvenient. Consider having it removed. Another great line. Favorite line for this episode, yeah. Yeah, love it. Sulu kind of leans over and says, try to cross brains with Spock. He'll cut you to pieces every time. Kirk checks in again from his room and asks for all the department heads to meet on the bridge. Spock replies that they're already standing by on the bridge. Next thing we see is Kirk entering the bridge. And this is interesting. There's a camera that's following right behind when the doors open up, we're with Kirk right over his shoulder as he goes in, passes Uhura, and goes over towards Spock. I thought that was so a great shot cool. because we actually, in that shot, see the entire bridge in one Which scene. you don't normally see. Yeah, Exactly right. Exactly right. So for people who watch that episode, really take a look at that because it really is pretty cool. Spock tells Kirk that the object is solid but can't determine the composition. Kirk gets info from Bailey and Sulu. Then he goes to Scotty, and Scotty doesn't know what propels it. Right there, you've got most of the crew. And then uh, McCoy shows up on the bridge. Bailey, a little bit shaky still, says, are we just going to let it hold us here? Because we've got phaser weapons. I vote we blast it. And here comes another great line. Kirk sits in the chair and says, I'll keep that in mind should this ever become a democracy. So later, there's uh, the department heads meet in the conference room. And we find out they've been held motionless now for 18 hours. And Spock says it's one of two things, a space buoy of some kind or second flypaper. Kirk says, meaning we're stuck. And then Kirk says, it's time for action. So Bailey's in the conference room. He says, Mr. Bailey. And before he can get another word out, Bailey calls the phaser gun crew. And Kirk quickly says, belay that. I'll decide what time of action we're going to take. Bailey starts to explain and Kirk cuts him off and says, I asked you for a request, not an explanation. He says, we'll spiral a course away from the queue. So Bailey just wanted to blast this thing from the beginning. Yeah. Let's make that cheese cube a cheese fondue. We want to light that sucker on fire. <laughs> yeah, he just, I think he was afraid of it and wanted to get it out of the way and be done with it. When they try to spiral away, they can't seem to get away from the cube. Spock yells out that radiation from the short end of the spectrum is increasing. Cube is closing in. Kirk remains calm, but Bailey is showing a lot of stress. The cube starts spinning faster as it gets closer. Radiation, Spock lets us know, is at the tolerance level. The cube gets within 51 meters and Kirk readies finally 
readies the phasers. Bailey doesn't respond and Kirk has to yell at him. You'd think that Bailey would have been all over that. In the scene, Dan, I gotta say, what was really cool, this cube is spinning and it's spinning faster and faster and it's getting closer to the ship and the lighting effects that they used, I thought were brilliant. When they showed Kirk or Spock or any of the crew, you saw the spinning, swirling different light colors on their faces. I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah, I agree. It helped build the tension, I think, of that whole scene. Yeah, I think you're right. And not only the colors, but the cuts, the quick cuts between the faces of people on the bridge for the audience, it really built that sense of tension. So they fire the phasers and there's an explosion that rocks the ship. Now, this is the uh, first time they fire phasers from the ship in the series, isn't it? I think you're right. I don't recall that they fired phasers before. We now see the entity is gone. Kirk's doing his log and says his next decision <laughs> is major. <Sorry. laughs> you might need to restate that. <laughs> <laughs> Captain's log, stardate 1514.0. The cube has been destroyed. Ship's damage, minor. But my next decision, major, probe on ahead or turn back. And all this time, by the way, Kirk seems tired and worn down. He's constantly like rubbing his eyes, rubbing his forehead. Well, it's been like 18 hours, they said, right? I mean, that yeah. they were... and so maybe he's been awake this whole time. Yeah, that's what I took it as, uh, that the entire crew on the bridge was awake yeah. this entire time. They were all doing that kind of rubbing their eyes thing and looking tired. Kirk states that the mission of the Enterprise is to seek out and contact alien life. Kirk then comes over by Spock's station. He's asking him some questions. And each time he asks Spock a question, he's kind of answering it himself. And Spock says... Has it occurred to you that there's a certain inefficiency in constantly questioning me on things you've already made up your mind about. It gives me emotional security. That's a great interaction between those two, and it really sets it up for the entire series. Definitely. Kirk turns and tells Bailey he was slow to respond, then says helmsmen, the engineering decks could all have been faster. Program a series of simulated attacks and evasion maneuvers. Keep repeating the exercise until we're proficient, gentlemen. Yes, sir. McCoy comes on the deck just as Kirk is saying this. Kirk heads towards the turbo left. McCoy goes with them. And as they get on, McCoy says, your timing is lousy, Jim. The men are tired. Now, it bothers me a little bit that he said the men because it's an integrated crew of men and women. He adds, he's especially worried about Bailey. Kirk says, Bailey will cut it. McCoy says, I'm not so sure, but maybe you see something in him you like. Something like you were 11 years ago. Kirk gives him this look and says, Doctor, you have been reading your textbooks again. McCoy says, I don't need textbooks to know you could have promoted him too fast. And in the background this whole time, we're constantly hearing Bailey shouting orders on these drills. It's over the, all the, the speakers in the system. So then we go to Kirk's quarters and McCoy is pouring him and Kirk something to drink. And the bridge calls and says the efficiency is up to 94% on the drills. Kirk responds, let's get it to 100. Enter Yeoman Rand. Yeah, which is now interesting, is isn't it? Because uh, in Miri, that was her last official episode, right, that she filmed, but this one yeah. was filmed earlier. Is, isn't that right? Yes. So this is actually our introduction to Yeoman Rand. She comes in, has a uh, tray, and uh, Kirk pulls back the cover over the tray and says, what the devil is this? Green leaves? It's dietary salad, sir. Dr. McCoy ordered your diet card changed. I thought you knew. Your uh, weight was up a couple of pounds, remember? Again, a little prodding back and forth, and Kirk looks perturbed. And as Rand is moving things around for him, he stops. He says, stop hovering over me, yeoman. After that, Rand leaves. Kirk says, I get my hands on the headquarters genius that assigned me a female yeoman. What's the matter, Jim? Don't you trust yourself? I've already got a female to worry about. Her name's the Enterprise. 
Another great line, Dana. They get word that another larger object is approaching. And so Kirk rushes off to get back to the bridge. They see the approaching object now, and the ship is rocked. Spock says they're in a tractor beam. The ship that's approaching them now is like this big gold sphere. Kirk says they're ready phasers. As they get drawn closer to the object, Spock looks at it and says, fascinating. And this is the first time Spock says that. And this is where the actual script said Spock shows fear. Instead, the director and he worked out that he would say fascinating instead, being that Spock is logical and not so emotional. And it really set the tone for the entire series. Kirk asked to hail the other vessel. Uhura opens up the comms by saying, Hailing frequencies open, sir. Yeah, she says her iconic catchphrase for the first time, hailing frequencies open, sir. Then Kirk says something weird. Kirk says... This is the United Earthship Enterprise. We convey greetings and await your reply. It's the one and only time he ever refers to it as the United Earthship. Yeah, so uh, so that's really interesting. Uh, again, third episode film. They haven't worked out all the details, all the canon yet, right? Because really, it should be the United Federation ship. What, yeah, what is it called? We represent the Lollipop Guild or something. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh boy, now we're going to have another group of people mad at us. I haven't even been drinking, so. <laughs> That's the problem, Dana. That's the problem. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. He didn't refer to the Enterprise as the United Federation of Planets ship or. We represent the United Federation of Planets or whatever. Right, he didn't yeah. say that at all. So, um, yeah, interesting. Again, they're still working out the details. Exactly. And uh, he goes on, we convey greetings and await your reply. And uh, they're not hearing anything. Then Bailey at the helm, you could tell that he's hearing something in his earpiece. Kirk turns to Uhura. She patches it in. And then we hear a voice. It's the alien voice that says, This is Balok, commander of the flagship Viserys of the First Federation. Your vessel, obviously the product of a primitive and savage civilization. We are now considering the disposition of your ship and the life aboard. Kirk tries to talk to Balok, but then static interrupts. Spock says, we're being invaded by an exceptionally strong sensor probe. Balok says, no further communication will be permitted. If your vessel attempts to move, your vessel will be destroyed immediately. So the voice was really ominous, and the voice was Ted Cassidy. We saw him in What Little Girls Are Made Of. He played Ruck. He's Lurch from the Adams Family. And here he is again. Kirk asked Bailey to dispatch a recorder marker to warn other ships. Once again, Bailey's kind of frozen and he doesn't respond. Kirk repeats the command rather sternly and Bailey releases the recorder marker. Then Balok comes back and says, your recorder marker has been destroyed. The ship is suddenly rocked. The ship gets tossed about a little bit in this several times yep. in this episode. And we see on the bridge people like being thrown from left side to the right side and they're grabbing onto stuff. And we see the same thing in the hallways, which I got to say, got a little problem with that. You're under red alert. Wouldn't people be kind of locked down, you, you know, sitting down someplace? All these people walking through the halls, the guy with the freaking life preserver that looks like a seat cushion. But I, here's what my, my question is, Dana. Mm -hmm. Did they shake the set to make everyone kind of look like they're shaking? Were they just given a direction that said, okay, everyone kind of shake up and down? How do you think that worked? Well, I know for some shows, the set was set on like gimbals. So that could, could be rocked, could be shaken. I don't know if they did that here. This actually 
looked like the ship was tilting. Again, it could have been the camera. The people in the hallway, though. My God. I made the comment. It looked like a uh, flash mob that uh, showed up in the hallway. Yeah, exactly. uh, exactly (laughs) So they started, uh, Star Trek started the flash mob. I think so. It didn't last long. Like the whole flash mob thing was kind of a thing for about, what, maybe six months. Were you ever in any place where a flash mob showed up? No, never was. Were you? Yeah, we were at a outdoor mall. All of a sudden, all these kids came running in and started doing this dance. And before music, it was even being played. And then music played. And then they did a whole dance routine. Wow. And then when it was done, they just picked up and ran off again. When I first heard the term flash mob, I just assumed people came running in in trench coats. And then they (laughs) flashed a bunch of people. And then they left. You know, there was also streaking. Oh, that was big. In like the late 70s. Yeah. In fact, at my high school graduation, a kid was banned from graduation because he went streaking through the Memorial Day service, which we had outside in the big football stadium, Oak Park River Forest High School. Shout out to all you Huskies. This kid went streaking through and there was a World War One veteran speaking. I mean, the guy was ancient. And here this kid goes streaking through, hops a fence, which, you know, you could be seriously hurt if something happens to catch on there, almost gets hit by a car and then takes off. He had a bag over his head. That was my only exposure to streaking. Where the hell are we in the show? What what happened? Where are we? How did streaking come up? You're talking about flash mobs flashing. I mean, just streaking. Balak then says, You have been examined. Your ship must be destroyed. We make assumption you have a deity or deities or some such beliefs which comfort you. We therefore grant you ten Earth time periods known as minutes to make preparations. Scotty and McCoy come to the bridge. McCoy lets Kirk know that Balok's message was heard all over the ship. Kirk goes to the command chair and addresses the crew. And this is uh, my favorite part. He says, you know, the greatest danger facing us is ourselves. Our irrational fear of the unknown. There's no such thing as the unknown. Only things temporarily hidden from us. Yeah, that was a great line. And it really reminded me of FDR making one of the speeches that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So uh, he hails Balak. Says, we come seeking friendship. We have no wish to trespass. And then again, sound blocks off the communication. Kirk orders Bailey to lay in a course ahead. Bailey seems dazed. Once again, Sulu does Bailey's work. The ship does not respond. Spock says, switching to screen, I have a visual. The golden sphere slowly disappears and it's replaced by uh, an alien face. So Balak then says, you're wasting time and effort. There is no escape. You have eight Earth minutes left. Bailey just starts losing his shit. He did. You're right. He totally did. (laughs) Kirk relieves him of his duties and orders McCoy to escort him to his quarters. Gotti's walking around the the bridge in front of the helm and Sulu says, Four minutes, 30 seconds. You have an annoying fascination for time pieces, Mr. Sulu. Bach tries to talk to Kirk. He actually looks like he's about to apologize. And then he says, chess, when one is outmatched, the game is over. And Kirk says, is that your best recommendation? Spock just kind of gives him a blank look. McCoy comes back on the bridge and says, Kirk pushed Bailey too hard. And Kirk says, I'm ordering you to drop this. I don't have time for your theories, your quaint philosophies. Kirk gets really testy with McCoy. Yeah, he is 
angry at McCoy. I mean, everyone's under pressure right now, right? There's yeah, how many it's minutes a, it's left? A pressure cooker. And now they're down to three minutes. So, and after Baylock says, you know, we have you have three minutes left, Kirk looks at McCoy and says, uh, all right, doctor, let's hope we have time to argue about it. Then all of a sudden, Kirk says, not chess, Mr. Spock, poker. You know, it really makes sense that Spock would talk about chess and Kirk would talk about poker, just their personalities. Kirk opens a hailing frequency and he tries to appear very calm and he addresses Baylock and says, our respect for other life forms requires us that we give you this warning. And he tells them that the ships, that all ships have this corbomite material, a material and device that protects them. Then Baylock's voice is heard to say two minutes. Kirk states that the energy used against this ship will be returned twofold and destroy the attacker. Kirk adds, Death has little meaning to us. If it has none to you, then attack us now. We grow annoyed at your foolishness. So it's uh, that's the poker side of it. He's bluffing. So Spock thinks the gambit has failed, right? He thinks the ship's going to get blown up. And then he says, I regret not having learned more about this bug. In some manner, he was reminiscent of my father. To which Scotty replies, Then may heaven have helped your mother. Quite the contrary. She considered herself very fortunate Earthwoman. Bailey comes back to the bridge. The readout on Sulu's helm says uh, 30 seconds left. Bailey requests permission to return to his post. They count down, and when they reach zero, nothing happens. The crew looks somewhat relieved. Spock says, this very interesting game, this poker. Kirk says, it does have its advantages over chess. And McCoy says, I'd love to teach it to you. So Baylock speaks, says, the destruction of your vessel has been delayed, saying they must have proof of this corbomite material. Uhura goes to open up a channel and Kirk says, wait a minute, let him sweat for a change. Another poker move. Kirk says the request is denied, then he closes off the communications. Spock says he has visual contact. Baylock appears on the screen again, saying they will provide another demonstration of their power. So a small ship appears and Baylock says he will take them to a planet that is capable of sustaining their life forms. Baylock once again warns that if they try anything, it will result in instant destruction of their ship and everyone aboard. So then the Enterprise is being pulled by a tractor beam. Mm-hmm. As they're being pulled by the tractor beam, they realize it's draining that smaller ship's power. Kirk says they want to try to move away, so they uh, try to move out of the tractor beam. They keep increasing their power, and the alien ship is now superheating. So Dana Uhura also says that Baylock is transmitting a distress call to have the main ship come back, right? Because they, they're losing a life support and other systems within the smaller ship. Kirk gives the order to plot a course towards the smaller ship, and McCoy questions Kirk. Kirk responds, What's the mission of this vessel, Doctor? To seek out and contact alien life, and an opportunity to demonstrate what our high-sounding words mean. So uh, unlike other episodes where he just blasted aliens, <laughs> punched them until they were dead, I mean, come on, you know, be consistent here. Kirk invites McCoy and Bailey to the transporter room, saying that, you know, they are going to uh, transport over to this uh, injured ship. Scotty says, Bend low, gentlemen. It reads pretty cramped over there. And so they uh, shows them beaming in to this other space and they can't really stand upright in there. They walk over into this room and they see Baylock. They realize right away he's just a dummy. Yeah, like a, a puppet. 
Yeah. So then they hear the voice and they turn and there's basically a eight-year-old child sitting on a couch, bald-headed, and it's Clint Howard, who is the brother of Ron Howard. He's talking and we're hearing this uh, very adult voice coming out of him. He pushes a button and says, you know, sit down and this punch bowl comes out. We must drink. This is Tranya. I hope you relish it as much as I. When Kirk asks, you know, why did you put us through this? He says, I need to see your true intentions. He kind of says, maybe one of your men could help me learn more about you uh, in exchange for some information of culture. Kirk looks back to Bailey and Bailey says, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do this. Baylock says, you must represent Earth's best. No, sir, I'm not. I'll make plenty of mistakes. But you'd find out more about us that way. Baylock finishes his drink and takes Kirk, McCoy, and Bailey on a tour of the ship, stating, We think much alike, Captain. You and I. Yes, we're very much alike, Captain. Both proud of our ships. And that's how this episode ends. Yeah, I, I love the character of Baylock being played by Clint Howard, but the laugh that Baylock does a couple of times where Clint Howard throws his head back and he just laughs. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. Just really, really well done. So, Dana, in this episode, a couple of characters really shine for me. One is uh, Clint Howard. As a little kid playing this uh, alien being, I thought he did a really good job. The other thing, the voice of Baylock, who was dubbed over Clint Howard, the little kid, as he was talking, that was Walter Edmiston. And he was also known as the man of a thousand voices. He did all kinds of voice work throughout his career. Most of us would recognize him as Ernie, the head Keebler elf in the Keebler elf cookie commercials. And then in uh, 1962, he he released this novelty song called I Dreamt I Saw Khrushchev in a Pink Cadillac. Now, Khrushchev was the leader of the Soviet Union. So I listened to the song on YouTube. I dreamt I saw Khrushchev in a pink Cadillac. He drove down the freeway with two chicks in the back. I pulled up beside him and I heard him say, "Is good fine country here in USA." It is horrible. It is horrible, <laughs> but it's horribly funny. The puppet that we saw of Baylock, the alien-looking creature, was actually created by a noted sculptor named Wa Chang. Now, was he part of the Wu-Tang Clan? He was way ahead of them, and he was one of the youngest artists to work on Pinocchio. But uh, most Star Trek fans will recognize a lot of his other work. He actually created the tricorder, the communicator, and the Vulcan loot. Did the mask for the uh, salt vampire and the Gorn. Does he ever get credit in the actual episodes? I do not think he is given credit. Damn, what else did you really notice about this show? What I really saw was this idea of poker being played in the show. The bluffing being played in the show was really being played out in real life in the Vietnam War and in other places around the world. That the U.S. and the USSR were playing this game of poker and bluff, but for real stakes. So I saw that I saw the poker as an analogy of the geopolitical process that was being played out at that time. The other thing was this, when Kirk talks about Corbomite, 
and he says, if you shoot us and blow us up, you're going to blow up too. And that really mirrors this. The nuclear proliferation. Right, exactly. And the doctrine of mutually assured destruction, which is if you launch your missiles, we're going to know and we're going to launch all our missiles too, and everyone dies. So I really saw those two things coming through in this episode, Dana. Dana, how about we talk about some of the best and worst parts? What was the best part for you for this episode? Just some great lines in here. One of my favorites, Kirk talks to Bailey about the phasers. He says, I'll keep that in mind should this ever become a democracy. Yeah, I totally agree. Loved, love that line. One of my best things about this episode, the entire crew is there. We see Scotty, we see Uhura, Sulu, McCoy, Kirk, Spock. They're all on the bridge at the same time. I loved that. How about a worst part for you, Dana? It seems like quite a lot of testing to do to make sure that their intentions were true on Baylock's part. Blocking them once and then, you know, they blow up the the ship and then they block them again and they threaten them with all this stuff. Pretty big game of poker he was playing. Uh, The last worst part for me, Bailey's teeth and Baylock's teeth. Bailey looked like he had donkey (laughs) teeth and Baylock definitely needed braces. I hope Clint Howard got braces as a child. We're going to hear from people now that have bad teeth, especially people that have like donkey teeth. All right. Hey, let's talk about our counts for this week. We got some exciting ones, Dana. What about dead crewmen? Nobody died, right? No one. Dana, we're stuck on 19. It's been like four episodes now. I'm really, really disappointed. Dana, how about the shirtless Kirk Rip shirt Kirk count? It starts off the show. I mean, it's like, what, like three minutes into the show and we see Kirk uh, shirtless and then he walks through the hall shirtless. Yes, shirtless and sweaty. So with the shirtless Kirk Rip shirt Kirk count, we're at seven now, Dana. That's our tally, seven in 10 episodes. That's 70% of the episodes we see him with no shirt or a rip shirt. That's pretty good odds. Okay, how about the he's dead count? Nobody died, so there'd be no reason for him to say that. Yep, so we're stuck at three on that one. So the tally for the he's dead count, uh, spoken by McCoy, three. But we do have a new one. Yes. You wanted to start last week and, and it was perfect timing. Totally by accident. I did not realize it would be this episode, Dana. Um, but it's I'm a doctor, not a fill-in-the-blank count. So Dana, you want to walk us through what happened in this one? So McCoy says, what am I, a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor? Awesome. So the first one, Dana. Doesn't really make sense to me. No, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. I mean, you're right. It makes no sense in the context of this. But we've got the first one in 10 episodes. So we get number one in the 10th episode. I don't know how many we're going to have throughout 79, but I'm excited to keep track of that. We once again heard from one of our biggest fans, Bob. Thanks again for uh, communicating with us and letting us know how much you love the show. And we also heard from a guy with a kind of unusual name, Fedge Bangy. He lives in Wilmington, Illinois, and he's also been a listener. And he said that he was laughing so hard he almost got in a couple of accidents uh, because he was listening on his way to work. So, Dana, what do we have next week? Next week is The Menagerie, part one. All right, Dana, hey, uh, have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week. Thanks again, Dana. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the Star Trek original series podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-A-M-N-I-T, Podcast at gmail.com. You can also join the discussion on Twitter and Facebook. You'll find the links in the show descriptions. For Dan and Dana, have a great weekend and live long and prosper. 